Hello and welcome to the RICS podcast. My name is Mairead Carroll and I work in the property standards team at RICS. I've been with RICS for the past three years, but before that I was at London first where I met my guest today, Sue Brown. Sue is Managing Director of Real Estate Balance, a campaigning organisation working to improve diversity and inclusion in the real estate industry. Sue has three decades of business, property and economic development experience. Sue joined Real Estate Balance in April 2020 from London First, where she was Executive Director with responsibility for property, planning, the environment and development and had been there since 2016. Sue started her career in government serving as a senior advisor in in a variety of high-profile roles before going on to establish her own real estate consultancy. Sue is a driving force behind the launch of MIPIN, the world's largest real estate investment conference that takes place in Cannes every year. And she was also co-founder and co-chair of Rewire, the network for women in property, and is an active member of the Women's Network Forum based at Buckingham Palace. Sue, I would like to say a huge thank you for for joining me today. It's great to have you as, as a guest on the podcast. One of the things I was thinking about, you know, in terms of thinking about talking to you today is when I was at London first there were a few things that really struck me about you one your passion for real estate two your commitment to diversity and inclusion and three your your networking skills and the and the fact that you know pretty much everybody in the sector which I always thought was absolutely incredible but to begin with I thought it'd be good for our audience for our listeners today to have a, a better understanding about actually what brought you into the real estate sector and what is it about the real estate sector that keeps you here that's helped sustain your career yeah okay I mean you 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 know you just said that you were going to ask me about um, why I joined the real estate sector and I mean if I my memory if I can actually go back that long because I've actually been around the real estate sector now for over 40 years I mean I've probably got to update my CV and say it's now 40 years that I've been doing it, which is pretty frightening. My background is, I mean, uh, as my accent would indicate, I'm very, very much London born and bred. Went to what was then a girls' grammar school in Battersea, when it was still Battersea rather than Battersea as it is now. (laughs) Studied history at university, came out of university, and the first job I went for, I went for a job as a grad trainee at the London Borough of Wandsworth. I mean, I went. I, I graduated a very, very long time ago. And believe it or not, I mean, much is explained about me by this, is I went for this job as a grad trainee at London Borough of Wandsworth. There was 90 of us applied for the job, and there was only three places. And they actually said to me that they weren't going to give me the job because I was a woman. Now, this is Gosh. a long time ago, but yeah. even so, yeah. um, clearly in my working lifetime, and in fact, in the end, I did get the job there. But I was working. I was working in the CEO's department, and I was the only woman that wasn't a secretary, a telephonist, or a typist. And that's not to decry anyone that is secretary, telephonist, or typist. Um, but it was a it was a very strange organisation to be in. And after a year, just as, as being the only woman in that situation, I found it. I was I was clearly quite young found it quite difficult. So I then went to work for the city of Westminster, where I worked for Shirley Porter. You're all of you are going to be too young to, to remember who Shirley Porter was, but Shirley Porter was effectively the local government equivalent of Margaret Thatcher. Um, that's probably the best description of her. She's best known for selling all the Westminster cemeteries for 5E, after I'd left Westminster, actually. And she was, I mean, she, I have to say, I mean, you know, people. Very would, would 
Bure, I think, in the same way as Margaret Thatcher in lots of ways. But she was incredibly good for me. She didn't sort of stand on hierarchy. And there I was, an AP3 in the city of Westminster. I was so low down the pay grade, I was out the other end. And she used to take me to meetings with ministers and everything, so really good. But again, at Westminster, I was overlooked quite a lot for promotion, and it was always blokes that got the job. So I left there and joined the London Docklands Development Corporation, which is really when I started working in real estate. And I went to the LDDC in February 1982, when there was still nothing in Docklands at all. I mean, absolutely incredible. And London Docklands Development Corporation, then run by a man called Reg Wald, who is still the greatest mentor I've ever had. And the LDDC was just somewhere that if you were young and you were ambitious and you worked hard, you were really able to get on and do things. And that's what I did. And that's really when I, you know, you can mark my joining the real estate industry from there, if that sort of explains it. But I hope that's what you need. Yeah, no, no, that that's really, really fascinating. And actually, it's interesting that bit about um, being the only woman in the room. And I'm going to come on to ask you some some more about, about diversity and inclusion shortly. But I remember even, you know, going back five or six years, there'd be times when I would be the only woman in a room. Do you feel that that's, that's changing? Do you feel we're starting to move to a situation where where you're not the only woman in the room? Oh, my God, yeah. As I say, I've been in the industry for 40 years, and I think I can genuinely say that for 20 of those years, I was the only woman in the room. But I think the last 20 years, there's been a lot of change. I mean, and thank God for it. And certainly over the last few years, you know, I mean, exactly the opposite now. You know, often it's all women in the room, isn't it? So, But the big issue we clearly still have in the industry is you know, although there are a lot of of women now working in the real estate industry, it depends at which level you're talking about. And very clearly, although, you know, I've had a, I mean, I, you, you said I'm passionate about real estate. I am passionate about real estate. And the reason that I'm passionate about real estate is because I've seen real estate really make a huge difference to places. I happen, as I say, to have had the advantage of working for Reg Ward at the London Docklands Development Corporation and the LDDC. And, you know, the LDDC has got both, you know, has got a lot of plaudits, has also got its critics, but clearly affected huge, huge change in, in Docklands, you know, for good and bad, but whatever, mm. nobody can deny the change that happened. And then I've also worked, I've, I, I mean, I've always worked very, very strongly in the regeneration area. So and I worked in, in London Docklands. I mean, probably the greatest project I worked on was at Spitalfield, where we really did transform what was the old fruit and veg market that had that moved out to uh, to Leighton, and then we sort of transformed what became known as Bishop Square. But it's obviously now the old market area in Spitalfields. But all of the change that's happened in Spitalfields, you know, I was very, very, very much part of that. Did similar work in Paddington, but Spitalfields is probably the thing that I'm proudest of. And I just think you can affect real change with real estate. You know, it's a really good way of actually changing things. So that's why I'm passionate about real estate, because I think you can affect change through it. 
Yeah, and that that is very true. I think you do see some of those incredible transformations that have happened across London and further afield. I, you know, I think back to to living on the Olympic Park site where I lived for for many years, and I moved there in two thousand and eight before the the games, and just to see what has happened in that area over the past number of years is is just incredible. And you know, the, the BBC are now moving in there with some new sound studio, so it's just incredible that transformation that's happened that that new development that the opportunity for employment and for new homes that that wasn't there before can affect real change in, in communities and further afield as well yeah i mean i i mean you know i've talked i mean i've talked about the fact that as i say the, the thing i'm proud of is spitalfields but clearly london docklands as far as i'm concerned you know you you would never have been able to have what happened at stratford what happened in the olympic area without the LDDC having been in existence and affected change, mm-hmm. certainly on the Isle of Dogs, certainly in what was Surrey Keys, less so in the Royals, sadly. I mean, it's, it's quite. I'm actually down in the Royals again next week, and I've actually worked on a lot of schemes in the Royals. Um, and for whatever reason, the Royals hasn't quite redeveloped, say, in the same way as Stratford has. But, I mean, interestingly, I mean, I was at UCL, so they are born in London, even went to university in London. But I, I, I think w- without what we did at the LDDC, I don't think all the things that happened in Stratford have happened. But so in, uh, the point I'm making is that having been, you know, at university in UCL and my son's fiance is actually now head of comms at UCL and actually was down there with Keir Starmer a couple of weeks ago okay, in the new yeah. use. You know, you're talking about what the BBC are doing, but UCL have also now got an yeah. outpost in, in, in Stratford as well. So, yes, that sort of, in that sense, you know, the change that has been affected has just been absolutely incredible. And again, in real estate terms, you know, I was brought up in South London, Southwest London, and as I say, went to school in Battersea when it was Battersea, and my parents both were Southwest Londoners as well, going back in my dad's family's case, very several generations. And I remember when the first sort of redevelopment work started happening in Battersea when Regalian took on a lot of the old GLC blocks in Battersea. You know, they just couldn't believe it. But, you know, we have just seen huge amounts of change in London and, as you say, elsewhere in the country as well. So although I'm very, very London-focused, you know, I have worked in, in – I mean, I did quite a lot of work in Cardiff at one point. I've done some work in Liverpool. I did a lot of work in Lincolnshire, can you believe? But, you know, as I say, it's why I just believe – in, in real estate, because as I say, I think you can affect change through it. And how do you think we communicate that to people? Because I think sometimes real estate is often seen as the baddies. How do you think we show the positive effects of the benefits of real estate? Well, it's, I mean, it, it's a real, real, real big issue. And clearly, I've spent 30 years of my life working in real estate comms. And I'm very, very, very close to a lot of the journalists working in that space, particularly Sam McClary, who's the editor, well, was the deputy editor when we set up something called Rewire, which was a recognition and empowerment of women in real estate, which Sam and I set up in September 2015. Sam's since become the editor of EG, and she and I spend a lot of time talking about this about how does the industry, how do, do people just get to know about the industry? And, I mean, I now run Real Estate Balance. I've got this very, very lively next-gen team, uh, and they 
they did a survey in 2021 and did another one in 2022. We've just completed a survey very recently, which I was presenting on this morning. And they've identified something called the secret sector, which is that people just don't understand what property is about and the changes that property can bring. So, you know, we always say that, you know, parents who, you know, kids always want their kids to become doctors or lawyers or accountants, probably because they can make, you know, think they can make a few bob or they're just doing good works. Um, But people just don't know enough about property. And I think it's a really big issue for the industry. And I mean, I know RICS are looking at this now. I was at the RICS just before Christmas in terms of the launch of one of your DNI initiatives. But it's, you know, it's something I hold very dear. I think you've just got to get people understanding that property is, is about more than about, you know, high street estate agents. I mean, nothing wrong with high street estate agents, but clearly property runs, you know, runs a gamut of things. So clearly development, obviously planning, architecture, it impinges upon infrastructure and engineering. So, I, I mean, I'm a great proponent for, for the industry and just trying to get people to understand more about it. Because, and I keep, I'm very aware I keep using the word affecting change, but that's clearly what it's about. Yeah, no, that that is that is really really interesting. I, I'm going to bring back to that the that the diversity and inclusion bit. And you were at RICS um, before Christmas. I think last last year we signed a memorandum of understanding with the Chartered Institute of Building in, Institution of Civil Engineers, Landscape Institute, Royal British Architects, and and the Royal Town Planning Institute to, to drive forward the creation of a more diverse, equitable, and inclusive sector. And we've also been recruiting recently for a new diversity and equity and inclusion panel that will provide advice to our governing council, the RICS board, um, the standards and regulation board in the, on areas on diversity, equity, inclusion, and also to support the implementation of the development of a, a, of a new diversity strategy for, for, for RICS. We also actually have a staff-led inclusion group, which I think has been really, really good at raising the awareness of diversity, equity, and inclusion within the organisation and doing it almost from from the ground upwards and in that 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 bit of actually how you do things whether you do things top down or bottom up and how how they meet in the middle and how actually using both approaches probably can help improve and raise awareness of diversity and inclusion within an organization and I was just wondering from your experience and the work that you do with real estate balance and and the work that you've done in the past how do you see the best way to embed diversity, equity and inclusion within an organisation? Because actually, I think if we are going to reach out to a wider audience of people to talk about the benefits of real estate, we need to be having a greater depth of people working within the sector, within the professions. Yeah. Well, I mean, interestingly, the question about whether or not you build bottom up or top down I've lived uh, in two different ways. When Sam McClary and I set Rewire up in what was September 2015, we did two things. We first of all excluded all men, and we secondly said that we were going to build it from bottom bottom up. Real Estate Balance actually came into existence in October 2015, and they did two things. They they sort of said that they they firstly included men right from the start on the basis that especially in the real estate industry, if you didn't include men and get male allies, if you like, on side, then you weren't going to do anything. But the other thing that they decided to do, which was very sort of forward thinking, really, 
was sort of thought that if they were going to affect change in the industry, then they had to actually get to CEOs because that's where decisions were taken. And so we we you can't actually become a member of Real Estate Balance unless your CEO signs up to our 10 CEO commitments. Now, our 10 CEO commitments, some of them are a bit motherhood and apple pie, you know, but they're all proper things. It's about having a DNI strategy. It's about, you know, not speaking on panels that aren't gender neutral mm-hmm. and all those sorts of things. And, you know, as I say, I think I said to you just earlier on, I've been at CEO breakfast this morning where we had, I think we had 30 CEOs. We've, we've now got 119 members and we had 30 CEO members this morning to whom we were presenting the results of our recent survey. And we've got another breakfast at Grosvenor next week, which I think is 30 or 40. And we've done a whole series of these breakfasts. So definitely, definitely, you know, you, you've got to get buy-in, I think, at, at the highest levels. But then I've also spoken about the fact that, you know, we've got this very lively next-gen committee. And, I mean, you know, I, I laugh because my next-gen committee, I say, you know, I've got two kids that are next-geners in terms of age. I'm so far from being a next-gener, it's untrue. But, you know, clearly it's very much about influencing the, organi- you know, influencing the industry all the way through. But I mean, I, you know, another thing that I'm passionate about, as I've probably said, is that people just understand what you can do if you work in property and, you know, be you an architect, be you a planner, say, be you an engineer, be you an infrastructure person, really. It's very much about opening the industry up. When I became a managing director of real estate balance, I mean, I'm so far from thinking that um, we've got women right. We haven't. We've got the issue of gender and women right. We haven't. But I did say to Liz Peace, who's incredibly well known, that if I was going to do this job, I also sort of had to look at issues around race and ethnicity and social Mm. mobility. So now in real estate balance, I mean, we clearly are very focused on gender, but we're also incredibly focused on race and ethnicity. And we do a lot of work in particular with the Black Professionals in Construction organization. And we're also doing a lot on social mobility. Uh, And I I actually said in my CEO breakfast this morning that as I go around talking to my 119 REB members, the one thing that people are probably more concerned about than they are about anything else is social mobility, just making sure that real estate is open to all and not just to a select few who happen to have gone to private school. I mean, one uh, well, I, I, when our survey, we're not actually going public on yet, but when we've gone public on it, I'll give you a copy of our survey and you can see, but there's some interesting information that comes out of that in relation to the background of people uh, in, in the real estate industry. But, but very clearly, what we've got to do is just make sure that people can get into the industry regardless of what their backgrounds are. Yeah, and I guess it's looking at how those opportunities to access come through. And I guess thinking about apprenticeships, thinking about actually, you know, do do you always need a degree? Yeah, I mean, what's very interesting, I think, is because obviously, if you look at property as a whole, and if you look at, you know, the, the part of property that RICX represents, and there's an awful lot of people who are now you know, post-retirement age, but people who didn't particularly go to university but still did incredibly well. And then even in my generation, as old as I am, you know, people, a lot of most people probably would have gone to university. 
that some of the big agents have done some really good work on this in the last few years. And the first agent to do so was CBRE. Mm. And the current CEO of CBRE for UK and Ireland, a man called Kieran Bird, was absolutely instrumental in getting this going, you know, saying that actually we now need to look at whether or not you need to be a grad to come into property. And they set up an apprenticeship scheme, which is probably getting on for 10 years ago now, is it? I mean, I can't honestly remember. We were doing all CBRE's comms work at the time, and we did some work with them. We really sort of helped promote that. And I remember some of my people going to Marks and Spencer in Oxford Street and telling them what we were doing for CBRE and their apprenticeship program. And Marks and Sparks giving a load of free suits to these kids, you know, yeah. Uh, and funny enough, again, it came up because I happened to be in this this CEO breakfast this morning. Somebody in this seat, one of the CEOs this morning, was was saying that their experience now of apprentices as opposed to grads is that actually it's the apprentices that are often doing better at exams. So that's fascinating um, yeah. because I think so many of the apprentices are coming into the industry from non-traditional backgrounds, and when they do get the opportunity you know, are really making the most of it. And I think if you look now at the big agents, you'll find a lot of them are doing some very, very good apprenticeship schemes. I mean, one thing I would say, I mean, the fact that at Real Estate Balance, we've got 119 members and you can't, you know, we're a pay-for organisation. I mean, we're very reasonably priced, it has to be said, uh, selling it like mad. But you can only you can only come in if your CEO sign up to our 10 CEO commitments. Uh, but, you know, the fact we've got 119 members and it represents all the big companies, you know, so the, the REITs, you know, the Seagroves, the Lansex, the, the British Lands, but then huge, all the big agents, a huge number of investment managers, quite a few um, solicit, you know, quite a few legal firms. But, they're, you know, clearly they're not going to sign up unless they're committed to actually making sure that the that you know that that they have more diversity and inclusion in their own organisations, and that's clearly what we do at, at REB is is very much about making sure that happens, or making sure it happens as far as we can. Yeah, and I was thinking about that. So you know, we've got an awful lot of uncertainty in the market at the moment. Cost of living crisis. Uh, the cost of building is going up. Um, you've got people looking to multiple sites and, and so on and so forth because we are moving into, well, we have been in a period of uncertainty for quite some time and we're moving again into a period of uncertainty. And there's, you know, the, the massive push for sustainability as well. How do we keep inclusion as a priority? How do we keep the, it, it on the agenda when businesses are faced with so many other competing priorities, especially um, at this time? Well, I mean, I think there's two things that, that sort of happen, really. Uh, one is McKinsey have done a huge amounts of work on this in terms of just showing, showing that more diverse organisations are more efficient and effective organisations. And there's all sorts of, and I, I'm afraid I've not got the figures at my fingertips, and I should have, and I apologise for that, but more Gender equal organisations are fourteen percent more efficient, and I can't remember the figures. But basically, more diverse organisations are more productive and are more efficient. So I think you know there's a very good financial argument for the DNI, and I think you know the other thing, and we we you know we we tend to employ the carrot rather than the stick approach. 
But clearly, sort of part of the stick approach when you're talking about DNI is if you don't expand the industry to include some of these sort of disadvantaged groups, you're actually sort of ensuring that that the industry is missing a lot of talent. So, yeah. you know, I think DNI is going to stay on the agenda because I think people genuinely now want to employ the best people and you know, the best people may be a woman rather than a man, maybe somebody who's black or brown rather than white. So I think certainly at the moment, I don't see any, I don't see people saying, well, we're not going to do a DNI because, you know, it's not profitable or it's going to cost us money or whatever. I mean, I've, I've got a big moral imperative about that you do this because it's the right thing to do. And I've always believed that. But, you know, all the evidence is, is that if you have a diverse workforce, you know, you you get much better returns. And so I hope that, I mean, at the moment, I've seen, thank heavens, and I'm touching any wood that I can get hold of. I'm not seeing people say, well, we're not going to join real estate balance because actually we've got other issues and we've got to think about other things. I mean, I think, and again, I was talking to one of the lawyers this morning, I mean, I think, you know, prop coats, for example, and REITs have long ago realised that actually they can really impose what they want on their lawyers. And certainly when I was in comms consultancy, you know, we had to sort of make sure that we didn't put people up in pitches that were all, you know, white middle-aged men. I mean, Chris, there's a story which is anecdotal of Chris Grigg once to, you know, when he was a British land, once sort of a pitch team turned up from one of the main agents. I can't remember who it was. And I think there were six white blokes in it. And they he sent them home, you know, said, if that's all you can present me with, I'm not even going to talk to you. And that's clearly, I mean, a lot of what we look to do at uh, Real Estate Balance is affect behavioural change. And people doing that, you know, saying, well, actually, you've brought in six white blokes. And, you know, that's not what, you know, not how we as an organisation operate or indeed and if you're developing especially if you're developing in london for example and in any of the big cities you know six white blokes do not represent the population that you're going to be selling to do they in any way shape or form when i say selling to i don't just mean in terms of resi or anything but you know selling conceptually and if you're doing regeneration work which is where i've spent most of my life you know the world is not made up of white middle-aged men and if you pursue that you're you're going to go wrong so i i hope that diversity inclusion now apart from as i say the moral imperative of it people realize that if they you know if they do go around just pretending the world is made up of white middle-aged middle-class men they're not gonna they're not gonna achieve in terms of what they intend to do so i hope that we will have a continuation of people buying into the dni message you know perhaps that's slightly utopian i don't think it is i i think most organisations that I deal with do buy into it in a big way. Yeah, I think I think the the dial has certainly shifted. I remember back in the day where I was the token female on panels, and I think we are starting to move in a, to a world where actually we are looking. People are looking to recruit and bring in people and um, have panels and that are made up in a way that are representative of the the, the organisation and the sector and and um, people in the wider community. I think I think we have. I, I like to hope that we have moved on from where we were. Yeah, I, I think we have. I, I mean, I hope we have. But I do genuinely think we have. Yeah. 
So you've talked um, about your next generation within real estate balance. What do you think we could be doing to attract um, more diverse talent into the sector? Well, we talked a little bit about apprenticeships and, and you talked about firms that are reaching out into to schools. Does there need to be a sector-wide approach across to this or is it something that, that, that businesses are looking to do and organisations are looking to do on an individual basis according to, to their principles? Or, or do you think there should be a, a kind of like a more broader sector approach? Well, you've obviously got some people doing this anyway. So and I don't know if you know about Pathways to Property, but Pathways to Property represents a lot of the big prop codes in terms of arranging, you know, going into schools and they run big summer training programs. And I mean, I know British Land are very involved, with them, but others are as well. I think Seagrow and Lancet probably are. I, mean, I, I, don't, I, I don't know the details. Run by a chap called Paddy Allen, who in his day job works at Colliers. But they do, you know, summer schools to get people to look at real estate. And as I keep saying, rather than look at law or medicine or accountancy, Pathways Property are very successful. It's a very good organization. But then, you know, although, I mean, we don't, we don't as real estate balance, you know, we're basically focused, I say, on gender, race and ethnicity and social mobility. And we don't do much work with schools because we're just not big enough to do that. But having said that, the next gen, the next gen committee now, which is I think we've now got twelve on our next gen committee, and they really do represent a whole range of of organisations within the real estate industry. They're doing a lot of work with schools. They're also tying up with other organisations. I mean, there's one particular organisation we work with called the Ninety Three Percent Club. And the 93% club are so called, it's actually 93% of the, uh, of the country who don't go to private schools. And we're doing a lot of work with them now just to, to try and get to schools and schools particularly so that people can understand more about what real estate is about. And I mean, our next gen committee are now doing that by often, you know, people on the committee going back to their own schools and their, and, you know, into their own networks to actually Start encouraging people to think about to think about property, and yeah. So, I mean, should there be, you know, arguably it'd be great if we could have, you know, a, a sector wide approach to it. But I, I think on that one, you know, there's quite some, there's quite a lot of good work going on with a number of different organisations doing that anyway, and, and and long may that be the case. Cool. Thank you. That, that's really really interesting. While you're here, Sue. Um... <laughs> I was thinking that we should. I'm going to going to make the the most of um, having you for a few minutes. You seem to know everybody there is to know in real <laughs> estate, and I think it's already come across in this podcast um, with some of the names that you have mentioned. What you know? What what networking tips can you share with our listeners, and what advice would you give to someone at the start of their career looking to grow their business? You've set up firms and you've do, you've done so much um in your career so you know somebody's starting out at the uh, you know at the, at the beginning are there any tips that you can share with them for getting started okay well I mean I always say when people say you know a lot of people I do know a lot of people and I mean I think and that there's a number of reasons you know for a number of years I was the only one woman in the room so mm. you you, t- you know people tended to remember you and as you quite rightly said, I used to have this mad sort of lots of blonde curly hair that so people tended to re- remember me. And the other thing is I've been intrinsically involved with MIPIM ever since it started. And so 
you know, I've known huge numbers of people through that. I think in terms of when you start out, I mean, what we do lots and lots of speed mentoring events. And when I'm a mentor, I always, the first things I always ask my, the people that I'm mentoring, first thing I say to them, which publications do you read? And if they say, well, we don't because we haven't got time, I mean, I get upset, it's too strong a word, but people should read. I mean, uh, and I know that lots of of younger people now don't read a newspaper because everyone's online and that's fine. Mm. But if people in the industry aren't reading EG and or Property Week and or React News and or Biz Now and or CoStar, and then if you're an architect, you've got to read AJ, you know, and if you're on the construction side, you've got to read building. But I do think that people should read publications to basically, you know, to, to get an idea of what's going on in the industry generally, but also to give you something to talk about if you then are going to events. Mm. But the other thing that I do say to all of my mentees, what events do you go to? You know, and again, people will say, well, they get embarrassed and they don't like going. But I, I mean, one thing, I mean, I I hate social media anyway, because I'm old enough. I mean, I, I just see the downsides of social. I mean, clearly there's huge upsides of social media, but, you know, equally, I'm old enough to sort of think a lot of what goes on in social media is absolutely dreadful. But I think the big, big thing is, you know, don't think you're networking because you're on social media. I mean, mm. I mean, you might be to a certain extent. But, you know, property is still a very, you know, outgoing industry. And I do think you do need to go to events and you need to meet people. And, you know, people get very embarrassed, but go in and everyone else is embarrassed as well. So go in and start talking to the person and find, you know, find something you've got in common with them. I mean, again, if you're a woman, it's easy, you know, because so often you walk into an event, you're the only woman, and that immediately gives you you know, you go over and say, oh, we're the only women here. I mean, you may or may not remember, I'm a mad Chelsea fan for my sins. Not a happy place to be at the moment. I'm a Chelsea season ticket holder. But, you know, I've always had football to talk about. Now, you know, I didn't deliberately go out and sort of say, oh, I'm going to sort of become football mad because it's going to give me something to talk about. But it does give me something to talk about. And interesting, the other thing that I found is when I had children, the number of men that I could talk to about my kids and ask them about their kids, which you might not have expected other men to ask other men about that. But that was something I, I talk about my kids a lot. And now my wonderful grandson, another one on the way, oh, great, oh, another grandchild on the way. So, you know, yeah, so just think about things that you can talk about. You know, in my session this morning, I don't know if anyone, I suppose people pick this up, but I picked up that, the woman who's the Prime Minister of New Zealand standing down, you know, because yeah. she just says she, she's, you know, she's got nothing else left to give. And I that that sort of provoked a discussion in the session I was in this morning about whether or not women, you know, take themselves a bit more seriously. So therefore sort of think, well, they can't do it, they're going to stand down. And that's where I do think you need to read the headlines, you know, and not not about bloody Love Island and all that sort of stuff, which is genuinely crap as far as I'm concerned. But, you know, people should be reading headlines. You know, people should have some understanding of what's going on in the world to be able to hold a conversation. So they would be my tips. You know, one, read the trade mags. I mean, really do. Equally read the headlines. 
And equally, just think of something that you can talk to people about. I, I mean, are you a Morris dancer? I mean, I'm thinking of all the most ridiculous things. Do you cook? You know, think about things that you can actually find something to talk to people about. As I say, if you're a woman in our industry, it tends to be easy because, you're, you know, you, you immediately stand out. But, you know, if there's something else about you, you know, if you're wearing a Chelsea scarf, well, probably you're mad. But, you know, anything where you can find something that's going to get you to connect with people. Well, I just like to connect on the Fulham two Chelsea one um, score. <laughs> yeah, all right, all right, all right. I have a stepson that is a mad Fulham supporter. I mean, he's a season ticket holder, and we were actually on holiday last week. And of course, the first thing he did on Friday morning was ring his dad. Yeah, yeah, it's all right. I'm, we we live in that as a family. <laughs> I uh, yeah, don't. I forgot. I forgot that you were a Fulham supporter. Yeah, very bad news from my point of view. Um, I mean, we're we sort of, if you're a Chelsea supporter, of course, now, you know, we are still champions of the world, but we're not the champions of West London because both Fulham and Brentford are above us. I mean, it's it's pretty sad place to be, isn't it? But yeah, that's why, you know, I, I would admit to my, my Chelsea supporting because it's so integral to what I am, but not a good thing to be promoting at the time, uh, at the moment, I have to say. Well, I have to say, I'm enjoying every moment of it. I don't know how long it will last, I don't, but I am going to enjoy every moment of it. I don't, I don't it. doubt that at all. <laughs> I don't doubt that at all. Yeah, as I say, I do start everything off by saying, you know, it, you know, being a Chelsea supporter at the moment is not a good place to be. But but there you are. It's what I it's what I am, and I do genuinely believe that football's tribal. You know, you you, you can't start supporting one club and then change. Nobody can do that. You, you know, no. it's, it's it's what you're born into, isn't it? You've got to stick with it, as far as I'm concerned. Well, yes, my dad was um, many, many years, uh, many, many, many years climbing over the fence to go and support Fulham. Um, it, I think for, for me, it's hereditary. Um, there's no way of getting away from it. My granddad and my dad were both Fulham supporters, actually. Um, but I mean, I, I was brought up in Ballam in, in the 60s and 70s. And, uh, you know, it's when it's fair to say at that time, Chelsea were the glamour club as opposed to Fulham. But, you know, things can change. Yes, we, we're bringing the glamour back to, to West London at the moment. Sue, I just want to say a huge thank you for your time on the RICS podcast. Um, it's been wonderful being able to speak to you today. I was going to say, do you have any last words before we close out for, for our listeners on, on any of the things that we, we touched on today? And also, if you know we've got a CEO listening, how do they find out about um, Real Estate Balance? Oh, well, real estate balance, I mean, literally, we've got a very good website. You can literally go on there. But I mean, if they wanted to come back to you, I'm very happy that you give people my details. I have no problem with doing that at all. Um, so I suppose actually, in that sense, I mean, I do live, by, you know, I live by a creed of being open. And I think that's the one thing I would say to people, be open. In terms of people working in the industry, share with your friends what you actually do share with people what you do because i do think it's only by people talking about what the real estate industry is about and what we can do is i I hope i've given some indication of some of the projects that i've worked on that i feel particularly proud of share it because by doing that you bring other good people in, in into the sector and that's basically you know that the, the one message is about just opening up the sector to as many people as possible you know, regardless of, of gender or, or race or social background. 
Brilliant. Thank you so much for your time. If you'd like to hear more from the RICS podcast series, which covers everything from dispute resolution to the value of art, please click subscribe with your podcast provider. Thank you very much, Sue. It's been a lovely time chatting with you. Good. Thanks so much. Cheers. Bye. Bye.